Good morning. How is everybody? Good? Good? All right. Hey, I want to tell you, uh, with all sincerity, thank you for being here this morning. There are some people who come to this church who have heard me teach about baptism without exaggeration 15, 20 times over the years, and they keep coming back uh, because it is just, just like the video was talking about. It's important that... Uh, we come, even if we have already been baptized, even if we already know everything about baptism, uh, it's important that we come and we support those who are giving their lives over as a public profession uh, through baptism to, to, to Christ. This is probably one of the most, if not the most important things that the church does. This is the true barometer if we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, that people are making a, a public profession to Jesus. So. Thank you for being here. Last night at our two services, we baptized 57 people, which is pretty good, yeah. And um, again, that's, that's kind of the ultimate win at the church. Everything we do is to lead uh, to that, lead to people giving their lives to, to Jesus Christ like that. So anyways, that being said, thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting people. So we have a couple of objectives this morning, um, really just, just two. The first one is this. The first one is if you are in this room and you have either never been baptized or maybe you're baptized at a time in your life when it wasn't your conscious decision, my, my first objective this morning is to show you some evidence through, through the Bible, and we're going to teach a little bit differently than we normally do. We'll be back in 1 Samuel uh, next weekend. We'll be in chapter 15. If you haven't read chapter 15, um, it is a doozy, and I'm glad I had an extra week to kind of look at it because it's going to be pretty complicated, but... We'll be back in 1 Samuel next week, but this week we'll be, we'll be jumping around the Word. And again, my first objective is to give people who have not been baptized adequate evidence from the Word to, to persuade you uh, that this is a decision that you need to make. Okay, That's my first objective. The second thing, which I think is also very important, is if you are in this room and you've been baptized and you made that uh, conscious decision as an adult and, and you've already taken this step, that's wonderful. More than likely, though, someone will eventually ask you about baptism. Why is this important? Why did you do it? And just going, oh, I don't know. My church was just doing it one weekend is not an adequate answer. So it is good to have a biblical reason to tell people and share with people why you took this step. And so the, kind of the second good thing about today is, even if you've been baptized, hopefully I will give you enough information to where you can talk to other people about this very monumental step in our, in our walk of faith. So other thing is, <clears throat> everyone gets to respond today. So even if you've been baptized, there will be people up here to answer questions. We'll take communion like we always do. And we've set it up to where all the baptisms will be on all the big screens around the room. So if you want to get your communion later, if you've already been baptized, you can sit back and watch the, the baptisms on the screen, or you can come up and celebrate with people. But... Um, Please just support these people. It's a big decision in their lives. But anyways, you should have got a notes handout. Everything is in there. Everything will be on the screens. Uh, if you have the app, just click on sermon notes. Everything is right there. And then in, if you're new, next week we'll be right back into uh, the book of 1 Samuel, going verse by verse through that very controversial chapter of the Bible. So uh, it'll be interesting. So anyways, glad you guys are here. All right, let's pray. Let's jump into a lesson about baptism. And um, we'll see where the Lord takes us this morning, okay? Father God, we love you. Lord, I thank you so much for everyone in this room. I thank you, God, for, for people who have come out to be supportive of other people, Lord, who may be taking this very big step in their walk with you. God, we just pray that as we talk about baptism, as we go through uh, different parts of the word, 
that you would reveal to us, Lord, if we have not taken the step, God, that you would reveal to us and, Lord, gently convict us, God, that, that this is something that you want us to do. And, Lord, if there are people in this room that maybe have been baptized, but you've placed them in a position of, of leadership or, or influence, God, Lord, let them learn some things from the Word today that will help them to positively influence those around them. Lord, we love you, God. We pray that you keep your hand on every church in our community, Lord. We pray for what's going on um, in the Middle East. Lord, we pray for, for, for our, our own local community because we have problems here as well, Lord. And we just pray that you keep your hand on us, God, as we study today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you've never heard me talk about baptism, this is the most simplistic way that I can, that, that I can put this. I'm a very simple person. I need to, to, to sometimes put it in simple terms for myself. But basically, baptism is the public display that one has chosen to become a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this is where we take on uh, the new person, the new man, the new woman. The way that I often think about baptism, and, and I'm not the only one who's ever thought of it like this, but it's very simple, is similar to a wedding ring. What that means is this. The Bible refers to us as being the bride of Christ, the spouse of God, if you will. And so this is not my marriage. What this ring is, is is symbolic of the fact that I am taken, I am spoken for, that, I, that I've pledged my life to my significant other. Baptism is much the same way. That is not your salvation, but it is symbolic of the fact that not only have you been saved, but you have pledged your life. I'll actually show you that scripture later, that you have pledged your life to being in a relationship with Jesus Christ exclusively, okay, worshiping him exclusively. So in essence, baptism is kind of the most blatant way that we say to the world, of course, we're supposed to act right and speak right and and think right and things like that, but this is the most blatant thing we can say to the world that we are Christians. And so after, after making this very blatant statement, there is a responsibility we have that there should be a visible change in how we think and act. So when we give our life to Jesus, when we accept that Jesus is everything he says he is, there should be a turning point. There's an even greater turning point when we, when we say to the world around us that I am walking this road. So there should be a change. And I'll show you scripture to support that later as well. There should be a newness of life, Paul says, a different way that we live. So let's get into the word. And what we'll do is, I, I, if you're new here, I don't typically jump around, but we're going to jump around to show you some evidence from the Bible as to why baptism is, is such a big deal. The first piece of evidence may be the most important, and that's the fact that Jesus Christ himself was baptized. He set the example of this. Now, we are going through the Old Testament right now, through the book of First, uh, uh, First Samuel. And when you get into the Old Testament, when you see the process by which we as humans are, are reconciled with our creator, it's a pretty arduous process. They had to go through different sacrifices. They had to take animals and kill them and put blood on an altar and burn them and eat certain parts. It was pretty rigorous. And so what Jesus does in the New Testament when he comes along in the book of Matthew is he is going to change that process by which you and I are, are reconciled with God. And thank God, because I don't know if, if I'm the only one in the room who doesn't have the stomach to kill animals and pour blood on altars. Just couldn't do it myself. Fun story real quick. I have kind of a squeamish stomach. 
And one time I was in Josh Brooker's truck. Josh Brooker's a big redneck. He's our pastor in, in Woodbury. I hope that didn't offend anyone, but it's just true. So one day we were in Josh's truck and, and I felt something under the seat. And I go to reach down and it's a book and it's open. And I go to look at it and he goes, ooh, don't look at that. And it was detailed pictures of how to field dress a deer. And I opened it up and I was like, oh. you know, there's a guts hanging out and this guy cutting a deer open and, and Brooker does this stuff and he enjoys it. And I just, that's weird to me. But anyways, <laughs> I wouldn't have done so well <laughs> in Old Testament times. So when Jesus comes up, he is going to change the process by which we are reconciled to God. And that will no longer be through the sacrifice of an animal because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. It will be through belief. It will be through repentance. It will be through baptism. And that opens the door for us to be restored. Now, we see this in the Gospel of Matthew. There is a man named John the Baptist. He was sent by God to kind of be a precursor, a, a, a forerunner for Jesus, to tell people that Jesus was coming and to kind of prepare the way. So John was baptizing people in the Jordan River. One day, Jesus comes into the Jordan River, goes up to John the Baptist, and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. And you can imagine, John knew who Jesus was, and you can imagine how that felt. John essentially says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. I can't do this. And this is very important. Look at what Jesus says to John. Jesus says, allow it for now, which means you're going to do this because this is the way to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus basically said to John, this is the way we're gonna do it now. This is the new method by which people are reconciled to God the Father. So John allowed it, right? I don't think he had much of a choice. He, he baptized Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water. The sky opens up. The, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then something very important happens. They hear the audible voice of God this says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now we learn a couple of different things in this. First, we know that Jesus never sinned. So why did Jesus get baptized if he had never sinned? Well, the answer is pretty simple. To set the example for his followers as to what we are to do. Because Jesus knows that obedience to God is essential for us to be saved. We also learn that Jesus never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. And that's a pretty beautiful thing about our Savior. We also learn that baptism pleases God. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. God was pleased at the obedience of Jesus Christ. So the first piece of evidence is, is Jesus got baptized. The second piece of evidence is, is, is pretty interesting as well. If you continue on through the New Testament, you go through the Gospels and you get to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is where the church begins. This is where what we're doing right now, that was the genesis of the church. And so as we move through the word of God and we move through a relationship with God, that's a process. That process is called sanctification. That's the big fancy word for that. All that means is when we live in a relationship with God, there are promises that are set aside by God for us that if we're obedient, we live in these promises and we change, and we get closer to God, and God uses us? Well, one of these promises in the Bible is actually in Acts chapter 2, and it has to do with baptism. The Bible says this, and I'll read it to you here in a second. 
that if we genuinely repent of our sin, ask God to forgive us, if we're baptized as a public profession of, of, of faith for the remission of sin, the Bible promises us that the Holy Spirit will fill us and empower us. That's a promise. And so where we get that from is 50 days after Jesus Christ was, was resurrected, 50 days, we have what's called the day of Pentecost, right? 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. 10 days before the day of Pentecost, Jesus, who had been hanging out, the resurrected Jesus, had been hanging out with his disciples, teaching them, equipping them. 10 days before Pentecost, Jesus says, I'm gonna leave, but I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And he tells his followers, go to Jerusalem, get this upstairs apartment. It's up, right? They call it the upper room. Go to Jerusalem, get this apartment, and wait for the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what that looked like. They didn't, they didn't really know what to expect. But Jesus said, go pray fast and wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so that's what they did. So when it was all said and done, there was about 120 followers of Jesus in an upper room. They were praying. They were waiting on the Spirit, whatever that was going to mean. And it says that one day the Holy Spirit rushed in like a, like a mighty wind filled up all the followers of Jesus. They pour out onto the streets of Jerusalem. It was early in the morning, about nine o'clock, and they pour out onto the streets. They're worshiping. They're speaking in different tongues. And this was a gift given to them by God. And I believe the reason why is there are people from all over the world crossing paths in Jerusalem for a festival so they could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in their native tongue by people that weren't supposed to be able to speak their native tongue. The response to that from the people was, what's up with the Christians? Are, are they drunk? Which is an outlandish accusation, you know, because you don't like start speaking fluent, you know, like uh, a Mandarin when you're drunk or intoxicated. That's not the way intoxication works. You don't just start speaking random languages. Maybe you do, but they're not real languages. <laughs> and so Peter hears that all these people are talking about how, how, how crazy this scenario is. So Peter gets up in front of a crowd of people in Jerusalem and he says, these people back here are not drunk. What you're seeing is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. And this was something that had been prophesied to the Jewish people some 700 years before Jesus started walking around earth. And so he tells them the way this happened is God sent his only son and he lived and he preached to us and he died on a cross for our sin, but he was also resurrected. And then the crowd asked Peter the, the, the million dollar question, what do we do now? And this is Peter's response. I'm saying all that to give you context as to how big of a deal this response is. Peter said this, Peter said, repent, be baptized for the remission of sin in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is a promise. It's a promise for you, for your children, for everyone who is far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And it said, with many other words, Peter testified and he strongly urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Now, I made this part blue because this is very, very important. People will often ask, well, do you have to be, do you have to be baptized to be a Christian? Look, it says when they accepted the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, their immediate response was baptism. Amen. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to the church. This is where the church is born. 
Now, oftentimes in church, people are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's a promise that is for us that are obedient to God. If you get into 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, there are other chapters and other books of the Bible that, that talk about certain gifts of the Spirit, but the most blatant are probably 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. If you go back and read those chapters, the Bible, Paul even says, brothers and sisters, don't be ignorant concerning the gifts and the use of the Holy Spirit. God promises us the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit because we need wisdom. We need knowledge. We need discernment. We may even need some of the more demonstrative gifts of the Spirit because it advances the, 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 uh, the kingdom of God and it brings us closer to God. And so we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We just need to be knowledgeable through the Bible about the Holy Spirit. And part of the activation of the Spirit in our life is through baptism, according to Peter. Another important piece of evidence about baptism is Jesus simply tells us to baptize people. I don't know if anyone else in this room is like this. I always make this, this kind of you know, cheesy analogy about myself, but my whole life, I've been one of those people to where if someone tells me something, there is this instant thing that wants to push back. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's really not a good thing. When it comes to being a Christian, here's the thing about being a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we understand everything that Jesus tells us or even about Jesus, but following him means that we live in obedience even when we don't understand everything. And so if I call myself a Christian, I'm not called to understand everything, but I am called to respond. That if Jesus tells me to do something, I do it. And if I call myself a Christian, I need to stop debating God on everything and just be obedient. So I can't explain to you everything about the word of God. I do my best. I can't explain to you everything about baptism. I'm doing my best. But I can tell you with all confidence, it is imperative that we do what God tells us to do. I think everyone will agree with that. So the Bible blatantly says this. Jesus Christ blatantly says this. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teach them everything that I've taught you. That's about as straightforward as it gets. And I'm gonna tell you, this is the mission from Jesus himself of the Christian church, or at least it should be. It's not about having famous pastors. It's not about having the best worship music. It's not about, you know, $50 million buildings. It's not about any of that. This is what the church should be about at the end of the day making disciples, baptizing, teaching. And look what Jesus says, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. What, he's, what is he referring to? He's about to leave. He's referring to that Holy Spirit that we just talked about in Acts chapter two, that he is with us till the end of the age. If you were with me when I was teaching the gospel of John, we see that Jesus commands us to disciple, baptize, and teach. And then Jesus says in the gospel of John, if you love me, you'll, you'll do what I tell you to do. And so people often say, well, man, I love Jesus. Or, well, you've, are you following all the commands of Jesus? Well, you know, no. Then Jesus would say he don't love him. That's not me twisting it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus tells us to baptize. Another thing, and this is a very beautiful thing, a very, very wonderful part about baptism, is that it is symbolic. And baptism is highly symbolic of a death and a resurrection, so the reason why we fully submerge in water when we baptize is one, the word baptism comes from the word baptizo, which means to submerge in water. The other reason why we do that 
is baptism is symbolic of, of someone going under the, under the grave, right, in the grave, and coming out new, resurrected, alive. So that doesn't mean that we're perfect after we get baptized. We're still gonna have struggles. We're still gonna be tempted. There's still gonna be things in our life that we're gonna have to work out. Here's the thing. Baptism is a, is a huge leap in us gravitating towards Jesus and, and moving away from sin. And we are not perfect, right, until Christ comes back and gives us a glorified body. We're not perfect, but on this journey, we're getting closer to him and further away from evil. Amen. So that means the frequency of sin goes down. The magnitude of the things we do goes down because we're getting closer to Jesus. And the reason why that is possible is the Bible says that after our baptism, we become new creations and we are no longer slaves to our former selves. So you've heard me say this before if you've been coming, but it's worth saying again. It is not biblical theology. And I need you to hear this because Christians do this all the time. You'll hear Christians go, well, we're all just a bunch of dirty sinners. That is biblically incorrect. That doesn't mean that you won't ever sin again, but you are given a new title, a new name, a new identity. You are no longer dirty, rotten, broken, ugly sinner. That is not biblical. You have been saved from that, and you are now a new creation. I don't know if I believe that, Corey. Well, I'll show it to you in the Bible. Are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we walk in a newness of life. Amen. We walk differently. Paul goes on to say, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Here we go. For our old self was crucified so that the body ruled by sin may be rendered powerless. We are not the same, and we are no longer enslaved to sin, the Bible says, since a person who has died, baptized, has been freed from sin. Now, again, for the fifth time, that doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that our lifestyles are different and that we are no longer slaves to what we used to be. We can be delivered. We can be permanently changed. We can be set free. And, and I'm not trying to be rude this morning. If you don't believe those things are possible, then why would you follow Jesus at all? The whole point of following Jesus is to get us off a path of destruction and get put on a path of restoration and salvation. That's the whole point. And so Jesus gives us a fresh start. And not only are we a new person, the next point, we adopt a new Identity. Identity may be the buzzword of this generation. It is a word that has become an idol in, in the lives of so many people in the Western world, this, this, this idea of identity. So here's the thing. If you get baptized today, um, it's not just pastors that baptize people. We will. But if you brought someone here today and, and you discipled them, we want you to baptize them. So last night there were, you know, moms baptizing their kids. There were kids baptizing their parents. There were, you know, friends baptizing each other. That's, that's what we do. And it's, 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 it's beautiful to see. And oftentimes people come up here and they go, well, Corey, like, what, what do I say? What do I do? And I say, just pray for him in Jesus' name. 
Because that is the identity that they are taking. That is the, 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 the name that they are taking on. So here's the thing. There is no magical words to say to someone when, when someone gets baptized. No one can thwart your salvation by saying the wrong things when you get baptized. That's, that's not how it works. It is the genuineness of our heart when we get into that water that is what's most important. But that being said, we do want people to know why you're doing that. That's why I teach this twice a year. We do, know, we, we do want people to know whose identity you're taking on, right? Whose name you're carrying. So the Bible says this, and this is a, 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 a scripture for the ages right now, for this age. For those of you who are baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ. Now, here's what that means. There are things that identify Corey Trimble as a person. I am a white, middle-aged male from the United States. Those things identify me. That helps people understand a little bit more of who I am. But above my nationality, above my economic status, above my gender, is my identity in who I am in Christ, my creator. So the biggest problem that we have in society right now, and again, I say this all the time, but it's worth repeating again. Our biggest reason that we have so much destruction and chaos and discontentment and suicide rates and depression and anxiety and everything else in our society right now is we are a people trying to find our identity in absolutely everything except for the one thing we are made in the image of. And that's why we're, it's trying to put a square peg in a round hole and it doesn't fit. So salvation only comes when we identify ourselves as followers of the creator God, above even our gender, our occupation, our nationality, our skin color. And that's why understanding our new identity in Christ is exceptionally important. The last question that, 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 that people always ask, and I hate these kinds of questions, not just with baptism. Whenever people say, do you have to go to church to, to be saved? Do you have to pray to be saved? Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Imagine if you walked up to your, your spouse and you're just like, hey, can you give me a list of things that I can just do the bare minimum and us not get divorced? I hope you have a comfortable couch if you do something as asinine and stupid as that, right? So if we think that's really stupid in earthly terms, why would we do that to God? Hey, I love you more than anything, but can you tell me the least amount that I can do for you and make sure that I still don't go to hell? That's a horrible approach, is it not? But people ask things like this all the time. So this is what the Bible says about baptism. Many things about baptism, but, but Peter writes this. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of good conscience towards God. Let me stop there. What Peter is saying is this. Baptism makes you clean, not like you put something in soapy water and scrub it off. He says, what makes you clean, I hope I communicate this right, what makes you clean is not the water and the act of going under it. What makes you clean is that is symbolic of you pledging your entire existence to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the relationship that saves you, but that's part of the relationship is what he's saying. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers subject to him. The word pledge there can be translated to profession. You, you are saying to the world around you, 
I am dedicating my life to following Jesus. This is very, very important. So salvation is more than just a one-time experience. This is something, and I'm not trying to be mean, this is something that I really don't like about denominations. Denominations all have their finish line. In the United Pentecostal Church that I came from, it was speaking in tongues. If you did that, you're good, right? In the Baptist Church, you guys know this, if you just say a sinner's prayer, you're good. If you were raised Church of Christ, if we can just get you in the water, you're good. If you were raised Catholic, if we can just get you confirmed, we're good. Doesn't matter what you do the rest of your life, if we can just get you to cross that line, everything's okay. And that's a terrible way to look at salvation. Uh, My mother said to me one time, it was quite brilliant. She said, Corey, salvation is not like a gas station, it's like a highway. People stop at gas stations, they keep moving forward on highways. And this is the way we should look at our relationship with Jesus, that we are constantly moving, that we are constantly, it's not just that we are saved, listen, it's that we're being saved every single day. And we're in that relationship with him. So baptism is a pledge that we are going to get on the road. It is a pledge that we are going to live our existence constantly gravitating closer and closer to our Savior and honoring him. People always ask, Corey, do you think you have to be baptized to be saved? I'll just respond with, do you think you have to be obedient to Jesus to be saved? Well, yes. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Um, There's a lot of things that I think we need to do. It's not just a one thing. It is obedience to Christ. And this is a part of obedience to Jesus. So all throughout the New Testament, we see the, the normative response. That's a fun word, isn't it? The normative response when people, when people respond to Jesus is they do these things. They believe in him, right? They repent for their sin. They have daily faith, which means saving daily dependence on Jesus, and they are baptized. And the rebuttal to that is always, well, what about the thief on the cross? I don't think he had an option. That's an anomaly. I'll tell you what, if you find yourself on a cross next to Jesus, you don't have to get baptized. You can just tell him you wanna be with him in paradise. That's an anomaly, guys. We need to be careful with anomalies. If we're gonna go with anomalies, I used this about a month ago, there's a talking donkey in the Old Testament. I guarantee every donkey you go to is not gonna be like, hey, how's it going? That's an anomaly. So we need to make sure that we don't try to make anomalies the norm. This is the normative response to knowing who Jesus is. Now, none of that answers the question, if I don't get baptized, will will I go to hell? It doesn't answer that question. You know why I don't think the Bible blatantly says it like that? Because I think even God knows that's a terrible question. And so here's the thing. If you are in this room this morning and and we claim to love Jesus or we claim to be a Christian, if we find ourselves after, after claiming to say that we love Jesus more than anything, if I say that and if I have even a rudimentary knowledge of what Jesus did for me on the cross, even if I have just a simplistic understanding that God became flesh, John chapter one, God became flesh, dwelt among us, lived like one of us, was, was falsely accused, wrongfully arrested, beat, mocked, spat upon, hung on a cross for six hours. If I knew all that and my first response is, do I have to do that to go to heaven? I would make the argument your heart is in a much worse state than you think it is. 
that there is, we need to go backwards a little bit because there is a disconnect way back there. When we start finding ourselves, and listen, guys, not just with baptism. Do you, do you have to go to church? Well, I mean, I know what Hebrews says about the forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But what I'm saying is, why would you not want to? If I say I love someone more than anything, my question should be less centered around, do I have to do it? And more centered around, what more can I do for you? You have saved me by grace through faith. And listen, I am not saying this to, to make any of you feel guilty. I'm not saying any of this to, to, to make you feel bad or, or, or to condescend you. But I think we do need to check our hearts a little bit. And so my, my, my question about baptism is this, is, is, is I've shown you, I, I feel like in the Bible, a pretty good snapshot of why this is an important step in your faith. And, and, and Jesus did it. Jesus told us to do it. God was pleased by it. And so my question is, what, what, what is stopping us from doing this? What is, what, is, what is putting the brakes on that? So here's the thing this morning, and I'll end, this, end with this. Everyone in this room will have an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The first thing is this. If you are in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're starting that journey. Maybe you started it, but you still just got a lot of questions. You're in luck. Pastor Jonathan is up here, works with all of our discipleship. If you want to come up here and ask Jonathan any questions, he would be more than happy to, to, to help you answer those. The second thing is, if you are in this room and you have not taken this step, here in a moment, you can go right through these doors. We have clothes. We have towels. We have people that will pray with you. We have people that will get your information and will keep in touch with you, and you can come over here and, and we'll baptize you, or someone that, that, that you're close to can baptize you. We can do that. And then the last thing is, if you've already been baptized and you're solid in your faith, we have communion here this morning. And, and listen, this is one of those things that I think sometimes some people in this church take for granted. And we rush off and we, we just kind of, you know, we have things to do. I'm not trying to be rude this morning. You have nothing to do today that's more important than you taking communion. Nothing, nothing in your life is more important than that. To remember what Christ has done for us on the cross and to just take a couple of minutes and honor that. So we have the body and blood of Jesus Christ all the way around us, the bread and the wine, all the way around the room at these tables, on these posts. Everyone is welcome to take that. You can go back to your seat. You can do it with your family, by yourself, however you feel comfortable. And, and, and the only thing that we ask, because the Bible asks it, is for people to repent before they take communion, to ask God to forgive you if there's any sin. But please, celebrate with these people. You can watch it on the screens and um, stick around for a minute, okay? So let me pray for you if you'll bow your heads with me. And then I'll invite you, whatever step you need to take this morning, baptism up here on my left, your right, questions up here on my right, your left, and then there's communion all the way around the room. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much. I thank you for everyone in this room this morning. I thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you, God, that you would love us so much to die on the cross and resurrect for us. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who needs to take this step. Lord, I pray that you just gently but firmly uh, convict and, and encourage their hearts, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.